Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 6. It's good to see everybody today. Thank you for being here. and We'll continue our series called Citizen Christian, as there seems to be a, a little bit of a lot going on in our world today. Amen? Uh, again, thank you for being here. We, we do continue to pray that God would protect us but also that God would continue to use us during this season. And so uh, con- continue to invite people to church. As you can see, we have room for people, and uh, especially room in the first service. And so we're going we're gonna to stay open as long as we can, amen? And uh, if we have to step back, we're going to get tough and step back up again. So let's all just uh, settle in and enjoy being here today and uh, continue to pray. And we're going to talk about prayer today and what a privilege it is. So First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read this verse of scripture to you. I'm going to pray again because we can't get enough of it. And then, uh, then we're going to jump right in. The Bible says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Lord, I pray that you would guide my mouth and my words. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us into all truth. Father, if we are not right with you, that we would be. Lord, that you would please change us and challenge us where we need it. God, conform us to the image of your Son. And we just pray now, God, that all of this that we say today, whether we've been in church for a long time or a little time, that all of this would make sense in our heart and mind. Guide us to be a church that values what you value and to live out what we see in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the leadership values that we have here at Lindsay Lane, one of the values that we have for those who lead, whether that be on staff or in a volunteer role, uh, if they're a leader here in our church, one of those values that we have is, who is you? Ask the question of of who are you pouring into, who are you developing, who are you encouraging, Uh, who have you identified as someone that God would use in leadership in the years to come? in a position that, that maybe you are doing now that they could do when you graduate from that position, or maybe it's not even in this church. Maybe you're helping God to raise up someone that would be sent out from this church, either on mission or to lead in ministry in a different church that God calls them to. Who is you? Who are you pouring into so that when you have to step down or when you decide to step down, they can step up? Well, there's a clear example of this in First Timothy and Titus. As the Apostle Paul And these pastoral letters is writing to two preacher boys. He is pouring into two guys that are going to be overseers of churches. And and he is calling them to this ministry to accomplish this ministry just as he is working. Verse 18 of chapter 2 in the first part of that verse says, Timothy, my son, here are the instructions for you. Here's what you need to do as a leader of a church. Now look at what the first instruction is that the apostle and pastor Paul gives to another pastor. He says in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. 
Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now, as I see it in the Scripture, the role of a pastor is to preach God's Word, it's to love God's people, and it's to guard the culture of the church. But it's also to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 12. And I lead with this because Timothy is, is not being taught by Paul of what to do for the church. He is being taught by Paul of what he himself is to do and what he is to lead the church to do with them. He is equipping them for the work of the ministry. And the first thing that the Apostle Paul tells to Timothy is you got to pray for everybody. That's the first thing you need to know. Now, I've been through a little bit of seminary. A lot of y'all have had the same kind of training. You've been to Sunday school. You've been to discipleship things. Has that ever been the first thing that we're ever taught? Hey, if you want to get into this, first thing you got to do is you got to learn to pray for everybody. And pray for everybody in all sorts of ways. That's what the Scripture says. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for all of them. Pray for just everyone. And if you look in First, uh, in first Timothy chapter 2, verse, verses 1 through 6, you're going to see this, this issue or this theme of prayer coming up in the first two verses to pray for all kinds of people, all kinds of ways. What are those ways? We'll make requests for them. The New Living Translation says, ask God to help them. This is a very broad and honest prayer for the world, that the world needs God's help. Amen? If you think the world needs the help of God, then ask God to help them. That's what he says to begin with. It says intercessions, to intercede before people or before God on the behalf of people is to ask for what they need even though they may not know that they need it. The blind spots in their life that they can't see, those that you know, that's those that you don't know, you ask God to reveal that to. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for all people. Now listen, I know this is not a message where we're going to get a lot of amens to begin with. Be thankful for all people. All of them. Everyone. Whosoever. Be thankful for all of them. And see, when we hear that, a lot of times we think, how am I going to be thankful for people when people are the major source of my pain and the major source of my problems? And yet God's Word tells me to be thankful for them. Well, here's the other side of that. People may very well be the source of your purpose or the source of your pain and your problems, but as I see it in Scripture, they are the main source of our purpose. People are. We are to reach people, disciple people, teach people to obey. We are to love people, to comfort people, to be kind to people. That's all in there. And so that's why God would have us to pray for people. And you know this, when we pray for people, God changes our hearts for people. That's what he does through prayer. I've never been able to get out of, the, out of my mouth, God, would you just take them out? Right? And if I had, there's probably conviction that follows that. Like, well, that's not what my will for them is. So we talk about this, this matter of prayer. Christians, if we've lost sight of it or we've never known it, we've got to start pray, taking this prayer thing seriously. And I'm not talking about stepping in once a day, talking to God, getting it checked off our list. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about serious prayer. The first thing that Paul told Timothy, first of all, Timothy, you need to learn to pray in all kinds of ways for everybody. Talking to God and knowing that God hears it is not something that you were just born with. Talking to God and knowing that God hears is something that we get to do because we're born again. It's a privilege to pray. 
It's an honor to pray and to talk to God because of the clearance and the covering of Jesus. And because of the clearance and covering of Jesus, we have confidence that we can go to God and he hears us when we pray. That whenever we pray for anything that's in his will, he will give it to us. That's what the scripture says. It's an honor to pray. It's a privilege to pray. And hopefully today what we take away from this is prayer is not just this little thing we do when we come together. And we build it into the service. We've been forgiven of sin. We've been freed up to talk to God. And God has given us, do you, do you realize what we've done today already in a couple of ways? We have bowed our heads together in respect and reverence to the Almighty, we have closed our eyes to focus. We have voiced together, or me on behalf of you, or others on behalf of you, and we have voiced communication to Almighty God. Don't lose the awe of that. We have a line towards our Heavenly Father. This is why we need to be reverent and still and take advantage of it. The greatest help we could ever have, we have if we are in Christ. It is a privilege to pray for all people. And to take prayer seriously, we've got to start seeing it more seriously than just a prayer group. That's what we do when we group together. That's what we do when we come to church. Prayer is more than just a, a part of your quiet time even. Prayer is more than just being part of a worship service. Let me take it even a step further. Prayer is more important than even just having a prayer service. Prayer is a dedicated constant all the time. It is, it is what the Scripture says, pray without ceasing, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. This is why he says to a pastor, first of all, pray to all people. It is a dedicated constant. It is not a program. And church, we, we, if, you want to, if we want to start seeing things happen differently in the world, in our community, in our city, in our county, and all across the world, then we're going to pray like it. If we don't pray like it, we don't mean it. First of all, pray for all people. Otherwise, y'all just talking about folks. So, I want you to think of your cell phone for a minute. Our cell phones, if if you are like me, we have a certain type of cell phone. At the top of my text messages, which all of us, I think all of us, have text messages in our phone from however long ago, unless you're real disciplined and you delete that text message every single time you get one. But if you're like me, I've got a bunch of them in there. And and featured on my phone is at the top, you can pin three conversations. I think it's more than three. But you can, I just heard somebody say six. There we go, six. He is listening. That's why he's in there twice. Some people need it twice. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just don't forget I got a microphone too. All right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But you, you you can pin messages at the top of your text messages. And, and in those conversations, those are the conversations that you don't have to schedule during the week. Those are the conversations that just always are, right? I mean, my, my wife is up at the top of that text message list because we talk every day. It's a given. It's not something I think may happen. We're going to talk. So, so I wonder if prayer were relative to our messages, or we could connect that for just a minute. I wonder if prayer to Almighty God would be pinned at the top of our messages or we would have to go in there and search for the last time we talked to him. I wonder if we'd have to search and scroll down to see when we brought that thing up the last time we brought it up. If we are serious about the world changing, we've got to get serious about prayer. That's what Paul told Timothy. Pray for everybody everywhere in all kinds of ways. According to verse 1, prayer is the what to do about it. 
That is, if you want to do something, that's where you start. You start praying for people. Because I've, as I heard a pastor say before, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. There's, there's, only, there's a lot of things that we cannot do for all kinds of people we not, do not know. And we are not God. So we are calling on God to do what we cannot do for ourselves and for them. We can talk about the plight of the world. We can talk about the people of the world. We can do all these kinds of things. But if we're not praying for them, we're doing absolutely nothing for them and doing absolutely nothing for our own heart. We're just blowing smoke. We're just talking about folks all the time. I tell you, this is not going to be a sermon where I get a ton of amens. It's still the truth of the Scripture. I've been a couple instances lately where someone would do something or say something, and I think to myself when I hear them say that or do that, I think, man, why do they got to do that? Why, why do they have to, to act that way? Why do I have to say that? And then I find myself wanting to tell others like, yeah, but man, they keep doing this and they keep doing that. When God's Spirit quietly reminds me after I get done talking, hey, if you want to do something about it for real, Junior, why don't you start praying about it? Why don't you pray for them instead of talk about them all the time? And we would say, well, we don't exactly do that. We just talk about the world in general, which is why God's Word says we just pray for all of them. Just pray for everybody. I wonder if those who are Christian and Republican are praying for Democrats. I wonder if those who are Christian and Democrat are praying for Republicans. Or we just talking about them. What's before you is people just talking about each other all day long. What God's Word says, instead of talking about each other, why don't you pray for one another? We, uh, we have got to stop seeing prayer as a, litur- a liturgical part of our faith, where it's part of the ceremony that's built in, and, or maybe even as a last resort. We finally started praying because we see the world seems like it's falling away, so now we're praying. Like this last resort thing for when we've worked all the way that we've done, and now we can't do anything else, so God, we hope you'll swoop in and do something. We've also got to stop seeing it as a low-impact part of ministry. What if we, what if we prayer walk in the, new, in the next year? What if Lindsay Lane goes into the city, into the county, and we pray walk? We prayer walk the whole place. I wonder how many of us would see that as an opportunity to do something big and how many of us would see that as an opportunity to just do something religious. I don't even know how that's going to work, if it'll make an effect. Prayer walking, what's that going to do? Exactly. Praying is when God works and does the things we cannot do for ourselves that we don't have the reach to do. As one pastor said, prayer is a confessing of need, an acknowledging of helplessness and dependence, an invoking of the mighty power of God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's not a low-impact ministry. You're calling on God to do all the stuff that we can't get done. As I see it, God has attached himself to prayer. And sometimes, y'all, I can't even tell you how it works. I don't even know exactly how it works when we pray and there's the will of God and God hears us and his will and our, our request. I don't even know how it works. But you know what I know? I know I can do it because God has cleared me through the blood of Jesus Christ and his word tells me I should. So guess what we're going to do? We need to pray. Some of you right now, even through the holidays, you don't feel like praying. Everybody wants to be joyful. We're getting together. Some of you can't get together. Some of you can't see your friends and family. And then the last thing you want to do or think about is prayer because you have that attitude of, God, I have been praying, and what now? Pray. Just pray and trust God. Just pray and trust God. If he's forgiven you of your sins, he's good. Amen? So even when you can't see what he's going to do right now, just go on and pray and trust him even when you don't think it's possible. Verse 2 says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. And the church said, amen, so that... 
We will live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is a challenging verse right now. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now, I want to go ahead and make a confession to you today. This instruction from the Scripture finds me unfaithful, straight up. I mean, I'm just being serious. Like, I, I, I tell many of you at the end of a message on Sundays, I say, listen, before it gets to you, I promise it gets to me. And so when I read this verse of Scripture, I think to myself, I do not pray for our leaders above the nation. I, I don't pray for our, our, I don't pray consistently for those who are making laws, who are ex- executing laws. I don't, I don't pray like that. And here's the reason why. Because when I, when I look in the Scripture and think, hey, man, you don't line up with that, what do you do about it? And then I also think, why do I not do that? And the reason I don't pray for our leaders at large is very much the same reason that we don't pray for people that are mentioned in a circle of us because we don't know them. Like, I don't know them personally. When we have a group that comes together, we start mentioning prayer requests. For those that I know, it gets to my heart, I begin to pray for them. For those that I don't, honestly, I'm like, I pray for them in general with you, but the takeaway for me is those that I know, which is why we need to know more people. But I'm just being honest with you. And also, it's one of those things I think it's such a higher-up thing. I'm so distant from that. I don't know them. I even sometimes think in my flesh, what, what will that do if I pray for our president and president-elect? I'm, I'm confessing this to you now because conviction, as I've heard one pastor say before, conviction is better as a shared experience. <laughs> but I'm just being honest. I want you to know what God has taught me this week about why we should pray for all of those who govern us and all of those who are public officials in authority. The Bible says, pray for them so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Our prayers for those who are in authority are for their salvation, first of all. You need to be saved. Not all of them are saved. Some of them, we we have a question mark about whatever. Let's just go on and pray for it until we know it for sure. We need to pray for their salvation. And and we're praying that, that God would give them wisdom. But also, a prayer for leaders has a lot to do with Christianity. It has a lot to do with what we want to happen being God's church on earth. Meaning, we need to pray for our leaders of our country, to respect the efforts and the freedoms of our church so that we may continue to worship without fear of persecution or retribution. That is why we are praying for our leaders. So they will not see the church as a threat, and and they will keep things open so that we can continue to move and minister, so that we can continue to preach the gospel freely, so that we can continue to reach out to the community, bring them in, share them one message of hope and truth. So that we can continue to go into our neighborhoods and love our neighbors in the name of Jesus and not have to hide from people. So that we can continue, we pray for our leaders, so that your leader here can stand up and talk about how God is first, even above the government. We want the freedom to be able to say those things freely. So one of the reasons the scripture says why we pray for our leaders is so all of this keeps happening. I'm afraid if we don't take note of that, we're going to finally realize that one day when it is taken away from us, and then that's when we're going to start praying. So pray now, as I've learned this week, pray now for all of our leaders so that the doors for the gospel and our freedom to worship and love and connect and gather will still be there. That's why we pray, first of all, for our leaders, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. See, a prayer for the president, the president-elect, the governor, legislators, those are all prayers for religious liberty. That's, That's praying for Christian liberty right there. 
And just a note, if our church does what we're supposed to do, see, I want you to think about this. If our church does what we're supposed to do here in this community, our government, city government would love us. They'd be glad to help us because we're helping them do their job. We're meeting the needs of people. We are loving the community. We're providing order in the community. We are sponsoring respect for authority in our church. If we do what we're supposed to do, we'll be a help to the government. You know, the first meeting I took here, I didn't take it. I, I asked if I could. The first meeting here when I came to this spot was I went to our mayor in the city of Athens. I said, if you could I just have a few minutes and said, sure, welcome me in, sat down with he and his staff. And basically, I went there just to tell him, listen, we're, we're here to help you. And I said the same thing to him when I say to you, we, if we do what we're supposed to do, you won't have any problems with us. In fact, you'll love us because we'll be helping you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in our city. The church is not seeking to change the world by opposition. The church is not seeking to overthrow governments. It's not seeking to conquer enemies. We want to be light in the darkness, and we want to share the hope of Christ, and we'd like to do that with an open door instead of a closed fist against us. So the reason why we pray is for that. Y'all, in other countries where this is shut down, the church has not stopped. They just have to find other ways to do this because the government's closing down on them. So we need to pray that it, it stays open. That's the teaching of the Scripture. And some of you may say, well, yeah, but praying for our leaders here with a similar worldview and a church on every corner, now I get that, and, and, and that's much different than praying for our leaders at the federal level, which seem to be ever, ever closer to revoking religious liberties than protecting them. Well, yeah, that's all the more reason to pray. That's, that's the point of the whole thing here. That's all the more reason to pray for them because they lean closer to shutting it down than keeping it open. So that's why we ask God to do what we cannot do for ourselves through and to people we don't even know personally. That's just what I've learned this week. And remember, this was written in the days of Nero. Now, some of us need to hear this. All of this was written in the days of Nero. Whatever leader right now you champion and the other one you don't, the one that you don't, if you think they're terrible, up beside Nero, they're a chump. For real. Nero was called Bloody Nero. He is known specifically in history for the persecution of Christians. Both Peter and Paul were executed under his rule. So I'm pretty sure if God would have Paul to pray for Nero, then I'm pretty sure we can pray for our president and president-elect, even if we don't agree with him. So this is what the Word of God is for today. Instead of talking about them, let's start praying for them. We're not praying for them. We don't need to talk about them. All right. Verse 3. The Bible says this is good and pleases God our Savior. This is good. It pleases God our Savior. Just a quick note here. Listen, if, if praying for the current president or praying for the president-elect causes you to bristle one way or the other, if it causes you to bristle, would you just do it just because it pleases God? You know, all we really need to see is verse 3. If God is pleased when we pray for them, then we ought to just do it. And a notice in verse 3, this title that's given to Jesus, God our Savior. Salvation is about to become a focal point in the rest of this message, so stay tuned in verse 4. And I love this verse of Scripture. Verse 4 tells us, who, meaning God, God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. 
This is why we're praying for everybody, for public and public officials. Because God wants to be saved. You ever thought about this with our leaders? We get our leaders saved that influence a whole bunch of people, then what happens next? That's why you pray for leaders. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. The reason we pray for all people, the reason we pray for authority, is because we are then demonstrating faith that lines up with the desires of our God. For all to know him as Savior and Lord, God desires for all people to understand the gospel. That they've got sin and that's the bad news. But God's made a way for them and that's the good news. God wants them to understand that. To be rescued from eternal separation from God. God wants me and wants you to be in a right relationship with him and so that we can experience eternal life with him. That's what God wants. It's his desire for you. He doesn't want you to struggle and sin and be uncertain of eternal life. He wants you to have the abundant life and victory in Jesus, and he wants you to know it and live it and share it with somebody else. And so God desires this. He desires for the heart of all of those that we pray for to be changed so they reflect his glory. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. And this is speaking in the context of Jesus coming back. Some of us would pray that, right? We, we pray, Lord, would you just come on back and take all this and, and take me on home and make all this right? Well, I'll just be honest. I have prayed that too. That's a real selfish prayer at times. Because we're good. You go on and get us. But a lot of these other folks that need to be saved, well, I don't know, whatever you want to do with it. And the Scripture says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That is the word of God. He, his desire, what he wants is not for anyone to be destroyed, separated from him for all eternity. He does not want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to be separated from him for all eternity. And one day, this life is going to end and then the judgment. He does not want you to be separated from him. He wants you to repent, which is to turn from your sin and turn to him and place your genuine faith in the way that he has made for you to be right, which is Jesus Christ. And live in it and love it. Now, as best I can tell, everyone means everyone. All of them whosoever. And you know, we like these verses of Scripture when we realize we're on the good side of whosoever. And that's what it means, though. This means the person in your family that you love and you want them to be saved and right with God. That's what this, this is for them. But it also means that God's desire for people to be saved also applies to those that you have no idea who they are and you probably disagree with. This means the terrorist and the atheist. This means the Republican and the Democrat, all of them, whosoever, God would have their allegiance to be higher than the things we think are high. Now, knowing this is the desire of our Lord who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth, what is your desire when you pray for the public and public officials? What is our desire? Because I'm afraid some of us, we see people acting foolish and rather than God's grace changing their life, if we're being honest, we just want them to get what's coming to them. That's what we want. Instead of them being changed 
by the grace, mercy, and kindness of God and their life being changed and reflecting His glory. What we want, we want them to say they're sorry. We want them to say that we were right. And we want God to get on to them really good in the process of it. That's what we want. You can't pray that way. God's Spirit won't let you. Because it's God's desire for everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Let me just say this about God's desire for all people to be saved. I've typed this down. I can't think of any other way to put this. I love this about God. I love that God desired to save me. I love it. I love that I was a worthless sinner. And there have been times when I've been saved and been worthless. And God wants me to understand the truth. God loves me. And he wants me and he wants you to be saved. And he wants us to live by the truth and experience life with him. A life filled with purpose. It's not perfect here on this earth, but it's filled with purpose. I love this about God. It says, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth? And then I realize that I am saved and I do understand the truth. I want to say, Dwayne, get back up here. Cue the music. Get the band up again. Because now we understand about what we're about to sing about. Because then we're right with God and we're not going to bust hell wide open because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. So let's sing about it, right? Sometimes I want to preach first and then sing because it gathers our perspective. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy towards me. So God's desire for all people should be reflected by his people. Let me say that with the emphasis on the, on the right word this time. God's desire for all people should be the desire of his people. Whatever God desires, we must desire. We belong to him. Now, there are some theological points to make here as we're, we're, we're on the downhill slide. To be saved in this text is not saying God wants everybody to save themselves. To be saved in this text is not saying he wants people to get saved. To be saved, this verse indicates that man must be saved. To be saved is that somebody else is going to do it for them. God is going to give of himself and save them. He wants them to be saved. It would be like people asking me what I want to happen when we all leave here. I want everybody here to be fed lunch. Which means that lunch will be provided for you by a different source. This is the divine side of salvation. God provides what we cannot do for ourselves, what we cannot make for ourselves. God makes a way for us to be saved. He gave of himself so that we could be in right relationship. The responsibility that we have is just to take the gift, man. Just take it, just receive it by faith and understand it and live it out. Another point to be made here is that God's desire to save all people does not mean that all people will be saved. The the invitation is universal for sure. But in order to be saved, they have to be saved on the terms of God, which is God has made a way, believe it. So much so that the Spirit of God is working on you to turn from yourself, that's what you do. Faith and repentance. I, I read from a pastor this week that said, God does not populate heaven with rebellious subjects. Meaning, while the offer of salvation is universal... The offer must be received upon God's terms. This is a good place to talk about what our missionaries are doing. We are praying for all people, people that we don't know. They are taking the gospel to the people we're praying for. We're sending them out into places where the gospel is not prevalent, and they are taking it. And this is why we talk about giving 
towards, towards missions because we are funding what God has called us to do, which is go here, there, and everywhere with the Gospels with the gospel and, and to take the message of hope and restoration and forgiveness to the world. And, and we can't be every place all the time, so we send people out called missionaries to do that. Are you with me? This church has a great heritage of missions. Don't let it down. Verse 5. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. There's only one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. For many groups throughout history, many people groups were polytheistic. Eighth grade world history teaches me that polytheism is the belief in many gods. Monotheism is the belief in one God. God's word teaches us that Christianity is a belief in one God. It's monotheistic. And from cover to cover, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the scripture teaches there is one God, and that God is the God of the Bible. That's who he is. In the Old Testament, God's people struggled with this. Had a hard time. Anytime they didn't do what they were supposed to do before God, and God allowed the consequences to come, they would think God wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, so they tried on other gods. Took up idols. Can we, can we, can we get another God here that'll allow us to do anything we want to do? Can we build up another idol that'll play to our feelings? This is why the people of God would recite the Shema in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, our Lord God, the Lord is one. The Romans and other cultures, they had many gods. And this is why God's word made and makes it plain to the church. There's one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Meaning there's one way to heaven, according to the Bible. Through Jesus Christ. Now, Listen, I want to make a couple points here. There, church, there should be no disrespect to other people who believe differently. We just read last week that we should respect all people. That's what the Bible says. The other side of that is, is I'm not going to give respect to a God that does not exist. So, yes, we need to be respectful to all people. But, no, I will not take a knee to somebody that don't even even there. I'll not bow and give allegiance to gods that don't exist. There's one God, the God of the Bible, that's it. He's made one way to get to him, that's through Jesus. We're not sharing that message, then I don't bow to it. I don't go with that, right? That's, that's the balance of it. We give respect to people. We don't respect gods that are false. And see, with that, some people may even bristle with that and say, well, that's insensitive. That's insensitive to say that there's only one God. That's insensitive to say when, when other people believe different things, that there's only one God and who he is, and this is how you get to heaven. I think it's insensitive towards God. God, I'm, I'm almost positive that God would not share his glory with anybody else. So when we make allowance for all kinds of things that are not true, we're being insensitive to God. Oh, that the church would take up for God as much as we take up for everybody else. Now, God desires for you to be saved and to know the truth. And he's only made one way for that to happen. Listen, if you're like me, I heard a message like this. I sat in the back of the church, right back there on the back left, looking towards the stage. And I heard this truth and God's spirit began to convict me that I was a sinner and I needed what that guy was talking about. If that's you today, I want you to listen because it is God's desire that you be saved and here's how you are saved. It's through one God man, Jesus Christ. This is the truth of the scripture. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he can identify with both God and man. 
This is who he is. This is the way that God has made. This is what the, the books call a word, a $5 word called hypostatic union. Which is Jesus being fully God and fully man. And it is such so that he can connect us to God. He is the only one that can. Job looked and spoke forward to the coming of God's grace by saying in Job 9.33, If there were only a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Well, he was looking forward to God's man. Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man. In order for Jesus to go between man and God the Father, Jesus must be both man and God, living a real life perfectly. You see, that's, that's the God-man. He lived a real life like we did, so he identifies with us here. But he lived it perfectly because he's God. He, he died a real death. A real physical death, but it was acceptable as a sacrifice unto God because he was God's way. This is all important stuff we need to know when we talk to people. Amen? Jesus, fully God, fully man, because he was God, he raised up from the grave to give us all who believe in him hope of eternal life and all the power of God. We're not talking about just a man. We're talking about the God-man. And this is how he got up from the grave. He's all the power of God. He is the only mediator assigned by God for us to have hope of eternal life. Jesus. Jesus connects you and God. There's a scene in the movie Forrest Gump, and I don't know what you think about that movie. It's on TBS and TNT all the time. It's on TV all the time. But there's a scene where Lieutenant Dan or Lieutenant Dane, is, he is on the side of the shrimp boat, and he, he looks at Forrest and he says, Forrest, I never thanked you for saving my life, referring to Vietnam. Right? Y'all remember that scene? And then all of a sudden, this is kind of weird, but then he jumps over the side into the body of water and starts doing the backstroke and swimming. And this movie doesn't, I mean, he lives again. We see that, but I was like, wow, that's impressive. And so right after that, right after that, Forrest says something to him that we're going to join into what we're saying. And I want, I want to, do you want the impression or do you want me to just say what he said? And the impression, okay, this is what he said. He never actually said so, but I think Lieutenant Dane made his peace with God. It's not great. <laughs> he, never actually, he, said, he never actually said so, but I think Lieutenant Dane, Lieutenant Dan, made his peace with God. I understand the sentiment for sure, but listen, Lieutenant didn't make his peace with God. God made peace for Lieutenant. Listen, if you keep trying to get right with God and make peace with God, you keep trying to get saved and all these things, you might need to know that God has made peace for you. He's made a way for you to be connected by what he's done, not by what you will do. Let me tell you why that's important to know and believe, to know that God has made a way for peace between you and him. Because if you think you've made yourself right with God, when you feel wrong with God, you'll stop coming up in here. That's what will happen. You'll, you'll feel like, and listen, there are people here this morning, the reason they're here this, not here this morning is not because they're not disciplined, it's not because they're laying out, it's because they're under such conviction. Because they know what I'm going to say when they get in here. That explains the last two years of my college right there. Under conviction... Still going to church, knowing the Holy Spirit of God was wearing me out before I ever got there. 
And, and so what we understand here is when we realize that God loves us so much and that it is his desire that we be saved and understand the truth, when we realize that is the heart of God, when we mess up, we won't run away from him. So listen, in the next day, the next minute, the next moment, the next month, if you blow it, don't turn away from this place, my word. Because he wants you to understand the truth. The truth is for you whether you're up or whether you're down. And I know there, there are people that truly, they, they wake up this morning and the reason that they didn't come is because the truth will be preached here. They feel really bad because they hadn't been living like God's. Listen, people will get out of church for months and they won't come back because they feel so ashamed about it. Forget that. Come on back. Who's told you? Nobody's told you you can't come back with you. You're believing a deception lie of the devil. God wants you in front of his word so he can get you where he wants to keep you. Man, if, if we all stopped, if we all did that, we wouldn't have a church. Are you with me? I'm in constant need of God's grace. Let's bring this together. The real reconciliation we need. And let, me go one, let me go one back to that again. If you're out of church for a little while and you got things going on in your life, don't go somewhere else. Why don't you call the place that loves you to start with? I'm telling you, there's good churches all over the place, but if they don't know you, they got to get to know you so they can help you. We want to help you to start with. Satan wants you to think we, we're going to be ashamed of you. That's a lie. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, come on back and let us help you. So let's, let's bring this together. The, the real reconciliation that we need is not man to man. The real reconciliation the world needs is man to God. Because when man believes the truth of how God has made a way for them to be reconciled, that's when relationships between people start to get reconciled. We start saying we're sorry. We start admitting we're wrong. We start asking for forgiveness. We start extending forgiveness. Hey, did y'all know this? If you're a Christian, you got to be a forgiver. Got to. No way around it. Read it. You'll see it for yourself. Google it if you want to. It'll be there. It's got to happen. Relationships are to be restored if you're a believer. That's exactly what God is working on. He's reconciling relationships, restoring relationships. Maybe you need to put your pride down and go to that person that's on your heart and tell them you're sorry. That's not in my notes. That's just for free. The real reconciliation we need, not person to person, is person to God. Think of it. God just told us to pray for the public and public officials because he wants them to be saved. When people are saved, God changes their heart. We begin to act right with other people. Verse 6, and this is it. Verse 6 says, he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. The Bible reminds us that we've been bought with a price. Our sin costs. We, we've been bought with a price. Our, the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin, is death. We've been bought with a price. Jesus, Jesus has paid the price for us. We were bound up in sin, and God gave of himself, and Jesus paid the price for our sin with his life. Listen to me. The righteous demands of God for your salvation were met by God. God met the righteous demands so that you could be right with him. He did that for you. He purchased your freedom. How did he do that? He gave of himself by sending his son. His son, his very son, died a sacrificial death for us. This is how much God loves you. Just a reminder. Amen. So listen 
to what we learned today. God, God wants his people to live, to work on mission and peace. And so in order to do that, we're praying for persons of peace. And we're praying for public officials. We're praying for everybody in all kinds of prayerful ways. And we also are wanting people to understand the way to be saved, which is by one God through one mediator, the man Jesus Christ. Now, this is the part where I close my Bible and y'all start closing yours and everybody thinks it's time to go eat. It ain't time to eat. Listen, this is the time now where we give you a chance to respond. You don't have to walk the aisle, but it's a public profession and I wish you would because if you want to join this church, be baptized or get saved today, I'm going to stand right up here. We're going to have another pastor, Brother Randy's going to be right up here. Nothing that says you have to walk the aisle, even though it is a public profession. We'd love for you to come on down, because here's why. The rest of the people around you are not thinking about how bad you are. They're thinking either I need to do that same thing or I did that same thing. That's what we're thinking. If you need to be saved, it's time to forget everything everybody else is talking about, and then come on and be saved. Get, get, get baptized. Join the church. Talk about discipleship and how we can plug you in. This is also another just an opportunity for us to just pray. We've seen it again. God wants us to pray for all people. If you don't know how to do it, trust God and close your eyes and pray. Just go for it. Pray, pray for leaders. If you've not prayed for the president, president-elect, local officials, state government, federal government, then right now, right now, let's do it. Let's just be obedient to the word of God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are. We are doing what you've given us as a privilege. We don't take for granted what an honor it is to bow before you and talk to you with confidence that you hear us. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us when we have taken that for granted. God, we want to pray right now that for people everywhere, people from the teams that we're a part of to the neighborhood we're a part of, the community that we're in, the city, the state, the nation, the world. We pray for everybody. We ask God that you would reveal to them what it is that they need to see. We ask, O oh Lord, that they would yield to you. We pray for people here, there, and everywhere. We pray for our public officials. We pray, O oh God, for our leaders to see the value of your church and God that it would be continued in this nation to be free so that we can share the gospel, so that we can love and minister to our neighbors. And Lord, I pray for the church that we realize what a blessing it is to be free and free to minister. Lord, if there's one here or many here that need to get right with you, and maybe they don't even understand all of it, they just know they need it, I pray, oh God, that they would drop all pride and come on. And we pray, oh Lord, that you would lead us into this invitation as we pray, as we sing, as we respond in the name of Jesus. Amen. This altar is open for you.